Hello and welcome to Juvenilia, the podcast where two guys, two white guys, talk about things that they made as teenagers. <laughs> well, it is a podcast. <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's usually how they go. Uh, depressing truth of uh, reality. And speaking of de- the depress- depressing, uh, God. And speaking of the depressing truth of reality, this week we'll be discussing. What some call Cormorkin's magnum opus, the White Room. No one's ever. Um, no one's ever called it that. Well, I am. No one's ever even called it an opus. No, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said we were going to have no lies on this thing. Oh yeah, that's true. Hey, this is the lying. no lies edition. All right, all right. Give me, give me, let me, let me take one more go. This. Do you even know there is a podcast where? Corn Wilkin and myself, Samuel Bowen, discuss the creative endeavors, the fruits of our youthful loins, oh. the things that we made when we were teenage boys and boys in our early 20s. And today we'll be talking about The White Room, which is an excellent piece of fiction by the young Corn Wilkin. I will get uh, into talking about exactly what it's about, but uh, let's just say. The White Room is watching you. Wow. That was a fantastic intro, Sam. Thank you. I really couldn't have asked for more. <laughs> I mean, you say it's a fantastic piece of fiction. But I have to ask you this. <laughs> have you yeah. have you read it? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I sat this morning. Did you really? On the toilet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I sat this morning grunting on the toilet. Grunting in satisfaction. I just thought you were t- reading the take, taking the mick like you always do. Well, thank uh, you for reading it. That's, um, I mean, it's not that it's that long, but I mean, it's probably uh, longer than it deserves to be. <laughs> well, your work, in, your work deserves enthusiasm, and that's the whole point of this. So I wanted to get in there and make sure that I had that uh, had that down, um, so I could uh, know what we were talking about. Because if I don't have something I can hold on to in my mind, I sort of drift away, start thinking about other things. Aww. But right now, I'm thinking about the White Room. Well, and I do think it's good. I think it's a good piece of work. Well, bless you, Sam. Uh, let me lay it out all on the line for you here. This was something that I created in 2006 when I was mm-hmm. 16 years old. Uh, fresh on the cusp of manhood full of dreams yeah on the cusp of something and um you know what was happening in 2006 don't you sam uh i believe it was the i want to say the austria winter olympics well that's quite possible but that's not what i'm talking about Oh, well, Jesus. Okay. Clearly wrong. Wrong uh, avenue to go down. Uh, what, are we, what are you talking about? It was peak reality TV, Sam. If you go back in time ah. and look at the two, the mid-2000s, it was reality TV at its absolute... Well, I say peak. It, you could describe it as the nadir. To me, it was the peak of the Big Brother phenomenon in on UK television. And this story very much reflects that. Yes, it uh, it's not um, it's it's reality TV, not in its current form, where it leans towards cozy and comforting and and not letting <laughs> you see the disaster that society is turning into, but much the opposite. 
it highlights the disaster that society is turning into. It's 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 the period of time that would spawn the brainchild of Charlie Brooker, Black Mirror, uh, Charlie Brooker's Black Black. Oh my god! It is the period of time that would spawn <laughs> the. <laughs> Shut up! We got it. <laughs> <laughs> Brack mirror. <laughs> oh no! It's funny that you should say that because um, I don't know if you've ever read um, Char- uh, his old column. He used to do a column, basically criticizing TV. Charlie Brooker is one of those guys who seems to have always been in the right place at the right time, and he got a TV yeah. column for the few years where reality TV was like at its absolute peak. And every week he yeah. just he just he just tore into it and then said very funny things about all of the bad reality TV shows. Yeah. <clears throat> And um, so, yeah, it was around 2006, although I remember it being 2005 because in 2006, I, like... I moved out of West Burgold to the other yeah. side of Colchester. But I um, I definitely wrote this in West Burgold. Yeah. So it must have been very early 2006. It was actually you writing this that led to you moving house. Oh, they, man. They couldn't. Uh, they couldn't. They knew that your your talent needed to be kept in a higher higher capacity facility. Oh, I thought you meant because like, I got so much hate mail that, that <laughs> we had to move for my safety and that of my family. No, uh, you, as uh, some of our listeners may have already independently worked out, you are a, a dangerous sort of talent, the sort of, uh, you know, kept in a padded white cell forever kind of figure. And they were sort of hoping that your teenage years of eating sausage rolls and looking at women on the internet might have dulled your abilities, but when you wrote the White Room, well, they realised it's uh it's time it's time to move him somewhere where he's close to a military facility. A secure facility, yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No, but it might well, I I'm looking at the metadata and it says uh, I wrote it in February two thousand and six. Now, Sam, I'm not a fan of reality television. You know that. Well, you, you said that this is this was the peak, or dare, dare you say, and dare I say, the nadir, the the unpleasant zenith of uh, reality TV show uh, shows in the UK. Like, what uh, what are some of those titles you're uh, you're looking at? You got your your sort of your four boyard, four boyard, your <laughs> <laughs> crystal maze, crystal castles. The whole it's shebang. Takeshi's Castle. Takeshi's Castle. All the great reality TV shows. <laughs> Banzai. And who could forget? Smack the Pony. And Bo forget, Selector. Uh, Funhouse. Look, I, honestly, the 2000s to me was a really great era for British TV. I mean, some of the comedies that came out, it's like, um, it's nostalgia goggles, I'm sure. But Choose your words carefully, Wilkins. You don't get British comedies like that. There were so many black books, Spaced, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, and The IT Crowd, and I could go on. <laughs> oh, I hope you don't. All my favourite uh, that's, comedies. That's all of them. <laughs> no, there's more. Come on. I can't think of them right now. Anyway, we're getting the, off the, topic. The Britass Empire? Sam, listen. <laughs> 2006 was the only year that I ever watched Big Brother. Uh, okay. Now, my my understanding was that you you and your your fam Lloyd uh, watched this stuff quite a lot, and you were sort of a begrudging part of that. Well, no, my mum and my, my sister watched it, but I hated it. My memory of that, as as you mentioned, like I that sort of period of time where I was like, oh, poor Wilkin having to watch Big Brother. 
I, that very much was tied to the period of time after West Burkhold, so clearly a transitionary period that you were writing this in. Yes. Based on our perceptions. But we're, we're talking a lot about uh, about the, the period of time. Do you want to uh, circle back a little to why this is also relevant? Well, yeah, that's what I'm trying to get to. So, but this is all this is all relevant, okay? Hmm. Early 2006, I watched Celebrity Big Brother. Love it. Totally engaged. <laughs> but also, what else had just returned to our screens at that time? Doctor Who. Oh. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm not a fan of Doctor Who, just like I'm not a fan of reality television. I'm not really I a fan of anything, Sam, to be honest. I do remember that from that period of time. I do remember trying to make recommendations to you being a, a thing that I had to sort of mentally prepare for. <laughs> yeah. But um, around that time, there was an episode of Doctor Who in the first uh, reboot series starring Christopher Eccleston. The episode was called... uh, Noted noted anti-monarchist and all-around sound guy. And uh, Billy Piper as well. She was in it. Noted anti-monarchist and (laughs) all-around sound guy. There was an episode called Bad Wolf, and the only reason I saw this episode was because we went to my aunt and uncle's house for some reason, which we didn't usually go to. And my mm. uncle, who was dying of cancer at the time, who Sad. was a, yeah, he was a big Doctor Who fan back in the day, and he was watching the new series, and I sat and watched this episode with him while my mum was talking to my aunt about something. Mm. And um, the episode, Bad Wolf, was about a future where game shows and reality TV shows uh, were still on television, but they had become so extreme that now when someone got ejected from the show, when they got voted out of the house, they would be Mm. killed. They'd be, like, vaporized for people's entertainment. So, and I thought, right, I'm going to take that idea and do it again. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why I decided to write a novel... An unillustrated novel. I never thought oh, about yeah, that. Was we didn't we didn't realize that novels could come without pictures at this time in our lives. So yeah, it blew my mind, and I realized, wow, this radical new medium is what I need to tell this story in, and that's how the White Room was born. I thought mm. I'm going to do Big Brother. I'm going to take what I've learned from watching two weeks of Celebrity Big Brother, <laughs> and I am going to make it into an epic novel. And I think also there may have been a little bit of um, inspiration from like Lost, even though I'm not a fan of Lost, Sam. No, you know, I was going to say. <laughs> but just the idea of all of these pe- different people washed up on an island, like all forced together in this particular space. I'm like, how did we get here? What's going on? That's appealed to me. And so in the White Room, the story basically is that 10 people plucked from across the country at random would be placed mm. into this house against their will. And each yes. week, one would be voted out and destroyed until only one remained. Yeah, no, it's and that's uh, that that's the premise. It's uh, lethal, lethal Big Brother. Yeah, actually, yeah, I could have saved a lot of time by just saying lethal Big Brother, couldn't I? I enjoyed the journey of getting there. I always do. Um, I obviously have the hindsight of both uh, a having read it and b having seen the sort of logo for the for the novel, which. <laughs> I, it took me a moment to sort of place it, but then I thought, oh, that's quite clever. 
It is pretty clever, isn't it? It's the big brother eye, but with a skull as the pupil. I don't know. How do I come up with this shit? It's your twisted, <laughs> le- legally too powerful mind. <laughs> I guess I'm just a twisted guy, putting skulls in eyes. <laughs> That's why he's but now he's been moved away from the military facility and he's being housed on Dartmoor. <laughs> Very far away from the human populace. The fact that we're even allowed to get a microphone into him to record these sessions is... I mean... I I had to fight a lot of people to get this podcast made, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Yes, I'm dangerously insane. (laughs) Now, I didn't want to do this... I didn't want to talk about this thing straight after we talked about my other attempted novel, The Lith Siblings, because Mm -hmm. they're both kind of similar they're both very dark failed novels that basically belie a very typical adolescent boy's edginess (laughs) there is a certain edginess to them a certain shock factor well an attempt at it at least Mm. um so the big draw for me was like can i come up with 10 characters from different backgrounds with different abilities and personalities and then put them all together and see what happens and having no experience as a writer and not much experience as a reader if i'm honest (laughs) i was poorly equipped to say the least to handle a character uh, to handle a story with 10 characters all of which were Mm. distinct and had their own histories and personalities yes and I was. I gone. Well, I was considering at first. Uh, you probably noticed from reading the text that I had this plan to. St- I, w- I would start each chapter with, or start each day, or maybe week. I can't remember how I was going to do it, but basically each section was going to start with a little flashback. So in the extract I've sent you, we start with Steve. Steve. And in italics, yeah. it's Steve. And then we have this little flashback about, like, you know. We get like the first glimpse of his past life. And as we went through, we were going to get all these little glimpses of all the different characters' lives. And it was going to add up to what kind of person are they? How did they end up here? What are their motivations? And uh, one thing I will um, ask uh, straight off the bat, because the thing that it reminded me most of, there's a a piece of fiction that it immediately made me think of, even though the, the influences are obvious. And that is uh, that is the novel Battle Royale. Like, was that floating around in there? Because, oh yeah. Like uh, that very much. You know, as you go through the story, you start to get a sense of like these characters, how they, you know, how they've been handling both their like their their period of time and this like in this kill arena on this island. Hmm. But also, as I recall, you're sort of like starting to understand the connections, but. Between them on uh, between them all um, from before, which yeah, I know that uh, that that sort of felt uh, that sort of felt familiar for me. Well, I must have read Battle Royale at this point because I definitely read it. Um, it's possible that I could have read it after I tried to write this, thinking, "Okay, let's see how someone does it who actually knows what they're doing." But. Yes. Yeah, I'd find it hard to believe that I hadn't already read <clears throat> Battle Royale. 
by Kushin Takami, which was a little bit of an obsession with me for a while, that book. And yeah. and yeah, it what what it did that I loved was it totally nailed the aspect of not ten but forty, I think, different yeah. students. All of whom had their own backstory, their own personalities. I mean, some of them get killed pretty quickly. There aren't yeah. some some there are some minor characters, but it's just so cleverly done the way that all of the personalities kind of clash and combine and man i mean that's difficult writing and like i say there was no way i was going to be able to pull that off but that was what kind of drove the story in my mind well i um i i suppose the the first thing that i wanted to ask actually does connect through to this like particular device that you're that you're highlighting the um the like the out the outside of the house or outside of the arena like perspectives and my my question mark to you was like are you just going to start each chapter like will will one person die per chapter or are you going to have short chapters like where like are you going to by necessity put the perspective of the person who's going to die in that chapter like as the the precursor or are you going to like how are you planning on sort of sprinkling those breadcrumbs in because obviously at some point people are going to start to die. Mm. And I sort of assume that once they're dead, you're not going to continue to give backstory on them. Though maybe you would have. Maybe that was part of your plan. Mm. No, no, I don't think so. It was it was going to... My intention was it for it to be that classic situation of where it's going to be... It would have been somewhat obvious who was going to die that week because you would be building up their backstory to a sort of... Um, to a sort of climax and then yeah. they would die and it would kind of mean something and then after that they would kind of fade into the background while other characters took precedence but as for like how I, I you know i think i was planning on doing like a short chapter for each day and then once a week there would be a death but the problem like i say i was an i was a kid i didn't know what i was doing as a writer the problem was filling those days yeah. Once you're past the initial like shock and awe of like, oh my god, what are we doing here? Oh, this is what's happening. Uh, you basically end up with a situation where it's like you've got to play out a lot of drama between these ten people and build it and build it, and that's something that's difficult even for experienced writers, but for a fifteen-year-old, yeah. Well, what I wanted to also sort of highlight from that was the fact that I think that you have. You've, you've sort of here, much more so than with uh, the list of things, you've sort of stumbled onto what it is that I think you do so well and so consistently now, which is which is these sort of like, you know, not like these sort of closed, this like one room play, basically, like these like stories where the interactions between people are the main focus and would need to be the main focus. I don't know if that's... I mean, you just said that that would be like a struggle for you, but I don't know if, like, at that at the point of writing it, like, where you did you know how much, like, because like reality TV, typically when you watch something like Big Brother, you watch a recap show mm. that shows you the most interesting hour mm. of a twenty four hour day, yeah, and filling that time, you know, there was going to there was going to have to be a, a great deal of mundanity, yeah, to uh, to address. Even though there's like all this horribleness going on, it really would have had to sort of run the gamut of like different human emotions and interactions, and 
Like, I think that's a pretty bold thing to be, like, going after at that age. But do you, do you, do you recall, like, whether or not you had thought about that, or were you sort of mo- more focused on the, the shocking parts? I... No, it was kind of both. I was focused on the, the, the shock element. I thought, oh, that's so cool. That's sort of intrinsically exciting. Um, but it was it was very much the idea of the kind of, yeah, the interaction, the kind of closed room drama thing not that i'd come across a lot of that in actual fiction um but yeah as you say it's something that i've become deeply enamored with as an adult you know kind of mostly based on theatrical drama um yeah like small cast plays but um i do recall that there's a part that there's a bit at the um before we go into the house in the in the section that you've read where um there appears to be an attempted uh, sabotage of the show yeah so a female assassin <laughs> runs up onto the stage and then gets shot so i think there was supposed to be this whole subplot about there was some kind of like uh, anti-government <laughs> like whoever's whatever organization is um, doing these these lethal game shows some kind of like resistance movement that will somehow contact the people in the house and you know that they'll stage some kind of revolution as the kind of final end of the story yeah yeah well i i wanted to know um when i read that part i sort of uh, the thing that i started thinking about was you know will this will this individual later be revealed to be somebody of of importance to one of the characters in the house or Ooh. is she just a sort of a you know is she just a sort of a you know an indication of what else is going on outside there? But I feel like you know that I don't know how many words that that first uh, chunk that you sent me is, but I I thought that you set up quite a lot of like threads pretty quickly without it feeling like choppy. It's uh, like I, four thousand words. Yeah, four thousand words. Yeah. No, I think that you, I think that you pretty much lay out what's about to happen. Like, and obviously there are definitely like foibles of you know, teenage writing, but like, yeah, I think that you lay out, okay, here's, here's what we'll be dealing with, um, uh, with all as in, and all aspects of, you know, what's, what's about to play out, but also you don't, as I say, you don't make it choppy. It doesn't feel like it's jumping from scene to scene to scene, even though there are three distinct scenes in that, uh, you know, in that, in that, uh, introduction, I feel like they flow through one another in an organic way, but still address what's about you know what you're about to read. So, good work there. Yeah, well, when I read it, I thought, yeah, this this isn't terrible. It's not as bad as I would have expected it to be, but it's kind of a case of I'm sure I probably tried more things like this when I was around that age and didn't get more than one sentence in and then just deleted it. But it was kind of a case of if I found something that worked for a while, then I would chase it. And if it felt like, oh, this is working, then I would keep writing until I ran out of steam. But I didn't know how to control that. I had no idea how to find something that worked. I had no idea what was making it work. Yeah. But if it did work, then I would just follow it through. So there's a kind of survivorship bias to stuff I have from that time that I did manage to write a good chunk of because it's like well that was one of the few things that actually worked <laughs> yeah 
I mean, also, and also, like you say, like a survivor's wise, like, uh, like it's still here and we're still able to look at it. Mm. Like, I, I've, I feel like every episode I bring, <laughs> bring this up, your, your beer hall putsch of, uh, your, of your, uh, earlier creative works is, um, means that we, the, the library of Alexandra, uh, Alexandria has been burnt and there's uh, precious little left but what is left seems like it surely must be the best because it's still here well that depends often it's just what happened to stay in the depths of my laptop and just got transferred from computer to computer over the years if it was physical only it was much more likely to get destroyed What? why is it a beer hall putsch though what? <laughs> <laughs> isn't it more like the crystal knight <laughs> uh, I was trying not to make that uh, allude, allude to that particular unpleasant part of history. Well, I wouldn't have wanted um, to either, but you know. Well, beer hall putsch. It's like uh, you know, it's the, the the tough boys muscling out the the weaklings. Oh, yeah, you know, it's uh, everyone getting rowdy and getting rid of the you know the ones that aren't strong enough to remain in the party. I don't think you can compare me burning and throwing away my old artwork <laughs> to the actions of Adolf Hitler. I mean. I don't I think you'll really find I can. see the connection, to be honest. I just like dropping in little you... little facts that I learned around this age about uh, the rise of the Nazi Party. Always, it's always important to remember. You just like saying "putch." It is a fun word, and I don't get to use it nearly enough. No, no. Except sometimes I will. I will slip it in and see if anyone notices. Like, can you push that back on the shelf for me, please? Come on, Sam. <laughs> Don't do that. Uh, yeah, good point. People just think it's for my weird UK accent. Oh. They probably think you're German. When I think of the beer hall butch, I, I, I don't think this actually happened, but I always, in my head, what I see is Hitler and his thugs like marching up to the front of the beer hall, pushing everything off the head table, getting up there and sort of like doing a jig on the table. Like, <laughs> we own this place now. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's sort of like uh, when you're a teenager and you've gotten too drunk to be afraid of conse- consequences. So you, you go into the local Weatherspoons and just get rowdy. <laughs> yeah, if there was a beer hall putsch in the UK in 2023, it would take place at a Weatherspoons. So anyway, the yeah. other the other big work that um, is comparable to the actually there's lo- I mean obvious there's loads the Hunger Games Squid Game. I mean, Squid Game say, did what this should have been. Like, th- this is like crap Squid Game, basically. Yeah. The way they did the backstories in Squid, Squid Game, like the preamble in the first episode, is it's it's exactly yeah. kind of what I wanted this to be. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, that's not what I was going to mention. The other big one is um, Stephen King's The Running Man, which I didn't read until a few years after I wrote this. But that's kind oh. of, yeah, it's set in a kind of grim future where, where poverty has just gotten worse and worse gap between rich and poor, divided society, and the poor end up competing on these lethal game shows for the entertainment of the rich. <clears throat> it's a very dark, quite brilliant story, which its reputation has been slightly spoiled by the fact that it was made into a quite a dorky, very 80s film starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was totally inappropriate for the role. But the book is I was going excellent. to say, is it connected to the film? Because mm-hmm. that film feels thematically similar, but not really. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's um, 
Why would they pick Arnold Schwarzenegger? No, because the, the, the guy. The time. The, yeah, but the guy in the story is meant to be this kind of like down and out, kind of like desperate, shifty outcast. He's not meant to be a kind yeah. of muscly action hero. Yeah, but, no. but in this world, it's um, yeah, he's kind of forced for money to um to take part in a, a lethal game where he's hunted down by trained assassins and has to survive as long as he can. Yeah, and there's other game shows in the story, but um. Yeah, it's very comparable to that. Um, but I didn't know how to get that level of excitement into a story like there is in Squid Game or in um, The Running Man. And mostly mm. it was just going to be 10 people kind of sitting around a house, like planning like ways to escape or like slowly accepting their fate, getting really angry at each other and like, you know, blaming each other. And But the thing is, a lot of it wouldn't have worked because... They were just picked at random and put there. It's not like in Squid Game where the brilliant thing is the people in the Squid Game choose to be there. Yeah. Because they're desperate. Yeah. And then, you know, they start and then you have that like great thing where they have And they to end up having to they have to they end up going back after they're able to like leave after the initial Yeah. Putch. And and they vote on whether to leave the game and, and all yeah. of these things that cause like blame to happen. But in this I don't think I had the concept that you needed reasons for the housemates in, to be blaming each other for their situation, but it was, you've been picked at random, you've been put here, there's no escape. It's hard to see how I could have actually gotten a lot of drama out of that, you know? But that being said, maybe that's what could have made it interesting. Like, okay, let's see what happens just between these people just because they're stuck here and they're they're in an ex- a state of extreme stress. <laughs> Yes, I mean, you could have done something along the lines of, you know, like the people in the house end up through through pure coincidence for some of the other people in the house end up sort of reminding them of, you know, the uh, relationships that they actually have in their lives. Um, and they Ooh. could have started to sort of lay into one another, you know, like realizing, oh, I might not get out of this. And this person here reminds me of the... <laughs> The person that I'm actually upset with or in love with or whatever. Jesus, I'm going to, yeah. You know, the, the, that's sort of like, well, any port in a storm, but for, uh, you know, emotional emotional uh, resolutions. Yeah, they, that would have been even harder to do. I mean, that's, yeah. that's <laughs> yeah. that, again, I mean, skilled even, writing. I also think that you could only get away with that with maybe two characters at most. You couldn't make that, that wouldn't. No one would believe that that would happen for all ten people, unless no. and and this is often part of these things. Unless you have you begin to realize after the fact that the whole thing's been brilliantly orchestrated by a sort of a shadowy maestro. Oh. Like it seems like that. It seems like they're random, and maybe they've been picked to make entertaining television. Which, by the way, uh, it's not quite the same. But um, there is a a Ben Elton book. I think it's what's it called? I think it's called Heartthrob. Maybe it's called something else. I don't know. But um, it's about uh, it's about a TV producer doing a sort of um, like a pop idol um, sort of TV show, and he's in this wager with his soon-to-be ex-wife that um, like she can name any person in the country to go on this show. And if he, using his powers of, like, you know, television producing skills, can make that person win, regardless of how likable or unlikable they are, 
then she will not she will not take him to the cleaners when she divorces him. Um, and the person she ends up picking is uh, a character that is heavily alluded to being uh, Prince Charles <laughs> um, at the time. Um, and uh, yeah, it's I won't sort of go into what happens, but uh, I remember reading that book around this sort of age and going, oh. Well, that's pretty. That's pretty interesting. Like, mm. it starts out you just hear things from the perspective of uh, the characters going through this ringer, and they're all a bit sort of sad or desperate, and you start to realize, oh, they're they're on the TV show because they're interesting to watch. Yeah, someone has decided that to put them there because they're much more interesting than someone who's sort of emotionally balanced. Yeah, and uh, even even straight uh, like early on, there seems to be a character who is. Um, uh, sort of um, comfort eating like he immediately makes a sandwich and then starts making another sandwich and I thought well that's that guy's got some issues that I'm sure will flare up later on oh wait are you talking about the white room now I am oh sorry I thought we were still talking about chart no no. (laughs) it was called chart throb I remember it chart throb that's it no I, 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 I was not that clever but yeah no I mean uh, no, not 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 as not as good a writer as Ben Elton, which is a little sad. But uh, <laughs> yeah, <just a> little. <laughs> I mean, he ain't Tolstoy. But yeah, no, I mean, the, what I do like about the what I've written is, yeah, you do get those little hints of character. They are distinctive. I've I've tried to give them. I've tr- I tried to show in their behavior, even in this first scene. You know, the kind of person they're going to be, and the kind of suggestion of what might the kind of conflicts that might come from them some people are yeah. a little crazy some people are a little quiet and then other people are kind of right right we've got to be practical and sort this out um but yeah it was interesting what you said about uh characters in the house kind of standing in for people from their own lives because mm. what you've reminded me is that i think i was planning to have one character probably this first character steve who gets introduced who's the kind of I don't know, I think he's like some kind of hippie artist guy, almost certainly based on me. I mean, he's the first character we introduce. He's kind of like the main character. Jesus. Well, he, uh, yeah, go on. He, well, he, you know, I, I was planning on having him, we, we we see in the flashback, you know, he's he's having a slightly troubled relationship with his girlfriend. He was going to fall in love in the house with one of the women in the house. Uh, and it, then it was going to be like, the guilt, the issues caused by this, and the eventual kind of... They were probably going to be the last two people left, like at the end of The Hunger Games, and then they had to choose who was going to die or whatever. (laughs) But that was kind of based on the fact that in Celebrity Big Brother 2006, there was the infamous incident where Preston from The Ordinary Boys cheated on his girlfriend in the house with a woman called Chantelle Horton. Do you remember Mm. this? I do actually, and I. So hands up, I've never watched Big Brother. Good for you. Not even, not, not even a little. I think I maybe watched five minutes of someone lying in bed, not not doing anything interesting, and I was like flicking through uh, TV channels, and I was like, "Well, that's not." I don't know what, what everyone's talking about. It seems very boring to me. I'm well, very smart, <laughs> and you are. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. No. I. I I but I do I do recall this because didn't he have basically the the world's worst case of cold feet? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it was crazy. I mean, he was with this woman who he'd been with for a long time. They were engaged to be married. She was she she, she seemed like this really sophisticated, intelligent French woman. Um, and then the woman who he ended up having an affair with in the house was kind of this sounds horrible, but you know she was kind of an Essex girl, kind of very blonde, like ditzy. I'm sure she was lovely, but you know what I mean? Like, it's very different sort of... Very different. ...his girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, afterwards it was like, they, they, you know, he basically ditched his old girlfriend. He'd got married to this new woman. There was the excruciating incident where he went on Nevermind the Buzzcocks and Simon Amstel just absolutely destroyed him to the point where he walked (laughs) off the set. I I still watch the clip of that occasionally and just just cringe like it's one of those things that's never quite left my head. It's very painful to watch. Simon Amstel is a very interesting character because he seems he seems like a he seems like a man who is very intelligent and very like soft and gentle, but also feels this necessity to be the cruelest, most cutting individual he possibly can be. Yeah, I mean, like. Uh, He's a uh, he's interesting for sure. Yeah, and then a few I do, months I, later, I remember, they, I, they divorced I remember and he went that, back to his original girlfriend. So I'm surprised she took him back. To be quite honest. Yeah, me too. <laughs> well, shows how sophisticated and French she was. <laughs> that's what the house does to you, man. It it yeah. it's a different world. You lose your sense of who you are, and that's what I wanted it, to explore. It, it entodulates you. It makes you back into a toddler with no understanding that there'll be a world again outside the house. Kind of, yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's a world apart. They trap you inside with no awareness of the outside world. After after a while, it's like his girlfriend probably... I don't know. Like he just The thing is, right? Celebrity Big Brother, it's not as long as regular Big Brother. It's only a couple of weeks. So I was going to say, you can't, can't afford to keep the celebrities because they've, they've got to be out being celebrities. That's very important for the, for the economy. Yeah, well, they just they, they wouldn't agree to be stuck in a house for three months, would they? But yeah, well, yeah he, they, um, they, might end up, they might end up doing something like uh, Jay, Jay Goody did and be a forever pariah. Mm, mm, what was that? Well, that, see, that's the, that's the big brother memory that I have uh, the most is Awareness. I think I don't. I think it was Celebrity Big, Big Brother, where um, yeah, where Jay Goody and a bunch of other people who somehow got away with it were very um, uh, were very sort of like overbearing and racist uh, uh, to Shetty. Yes. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But was, was she? Was that was that a celebrity? That must have been that. She wasn't just a nobody, and that was how she became a celebrity. Right? She became a celebrity through appearing on Big Brother, and later went back to be in Celebrity Big Brother. Ah, okay. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? She had a full uh, full life cycle then. You could call it that, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, it would be nice to read a little extract from this, but uh, so I'll just. Can I just give a little rundown here of uh, what happens in this story? So you st- Yes, please. Starts outside, big crowds, armed guards, pretty dystopian, but everyone's excited. This uh, charming uh, presenter guy who kind of, I guess I would have wanted him to look like the um, the presenters from The Hunger Games, where he looks a little, like, with a weird kind of over-the-top hairstyle, like, too fashionable, like, to the point where it's kind of off-putting. 
Well, I, there was one. There was one line that sort of stuck out in your description of him. Just you just mentioned his big pink lips at one point. Yeah, and it just it immediately I knew what you wanted to do with him. Yeah, it was like he's you, you're like he's very stylish. He's very handsome. He's very charismatic. Big pink lips. He's this big. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> he's he's the worst human you've ever met. Wow, I guess I nailed that one. Yeah. So he introduces the show. Then yeah, you have this incident where. Uh, an assassin, a middle-aged woman of athletic build, pushes her way through the crowd, wearing a dull brown trench coat and heavy boots. Her hair was wild and black. And, yeah, she runs up onto stage, and I guess she's going to try and kill the presenter, which is like, what's that going to do? But um, she kind of we, we kind of get inside her thoughts, and, and she knows that it's kind of hopeless, but she's going to attempt it anyway, which I guess I was hoping to suggest, like, this is not just a game show. This is indicative of a kind of wider situation in the country or the world that, you know, yeah. think terrible things are happening and people are desperate enough that they're willing to take a, a, a an almost hopeless risk, shot. yeah, to try and like yeah. strike a blow to the system. But she gets shot down, and then we have the little flashback with Steve where he's. Um, he's loading a bunch of. Uh, he's basically loading all his possessions, possessions into a car and um, saying goodbye to his girlfriend to go off on some long, mysterious trip, which I assume is. I th- I think what I was doing was setting up like, oh, th- th- that was fake. He'd been told to go somewhere, but it was actually to kind of kidnap him for the show. Yeah. And then uh, next thing you know, he's waking up in the bedroom of the house and he's the first person to wake up and he looks at all of the other people in their beds quite creepily, as he himself notes, mm. stands there staring at women sleeping on their beds. Yes. <laughs> and and um, comments on their, you know, he, he thinks about, he, he notes how they look and what he thinks about them just from their appearance. I I was expecting a honestly a more sort of leery eye from from the the descriptions that you gave, but you're quite you're quite controlled about it. Oh well, thanks. Yeah. So yeah, there's a kind of like older head teacher sort of lady. There's a kind of shy nerdy kid. There's um a there's a there's a figure called um what's his name? There's a a, a blind man mm. called. Uh, What's his name? Let's see here. Uh, Rupert. Rufus. Yeah, it's Rufus, and he's he was kind of based on the sort of like Locke from Lost. Mm. And then always playing chess. Yeah, probably. And it's a Jap a Japanese exchange student called Sumi, <laughs> which is pretty good. Yeah. Um. But yeah, there's a ten- oh, and there's also Mariah, who I think I had some idea that like, oh, she's actually going to be Mariah from the Lith siblings, but she's also going to be in this. What's going to happen there? Nice, already planning the Wilkins cinematic universe. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I like that. Yeah, there's the the kind of slightly unhinged black guy called David, and mm. Then the last person, who's this mysterious woman who lies on the bed and just won't speak, that she wakes up, but just acts like... She's nameless. Yeah. yeah. And she's going to be this kind of strange figure without a past. Yeah. And so... Interesting. I, I sort of... My assumption about her was that she 
uh, had may- she'd maybe done this before. Oh, I like because that. Because my my my. <laughs> we should my collaborate on this. <laughs> I write. Uh, I was the one question I had is, um, and I apologize for interrupting your explanation of the story, but um, has this happened before? And if it has, do these people like do these people know about it? Or is this like the first one? No, I don't think it has happened before because in the next scene they're completely confused. They've got no idea right. what's going on. Yeah. But like Fair. in Battle Royale, it's made very clear that this is not the first Battle Royale. Yeah. And in fact that one of the students um was was a previous winner of an earlier Battle yeah. Royale. Yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, I'm pretty sure this is like the first time. I th- I think, as I recall, I wanted this to be like a new low for the state of the world of the story, and like the the um actually yeah the 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 assassin lady in the first bit she grabs a microphone and kind of says um all of this stuff about how we need to stop this now you know this is madness we can't you know what does she say. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your last chance. Make a stand against this madness. You don't want this. This is your last chance. Yeah. Um, which to me kind of, I, yeah, I think it was meant to be like, this is the first the first instance of an event yeah, that yeah, they're you, planning you, to. This is, the, this is the tipping point, you know, no, no going back from here. Yeah. But then, uh, yeah, so they all, once they're all awake, then they go, the, the door opens and they go to the living room. And um, I'll read an extract. In the sitting room, there was a large window which threw light out onto the garden. At the edge of a small area of grass was a ten-foot-high wall with razor wire sitting on top. Beyond that, all that could be seen was the speckled night sky. Repeatedly, Steve exhaled, inhaled, exhaled, misting the glass of the window and watching the fog fade over and over and over. His forehead was growing cold against the glass, and his mouth was growing dry from hanging open. Read it out one more time, please, he said, still facing the window. Brian, the slightly overweight thirty-year-old, began in his heavy voice to read through the message on the portable text screen once again. Introduction. Greetings, pawns. Congratulations on being the lucky few selected for this, the greatest television event of all time. There are ten of you now, but every week one pawn will be removed through a system of public voting and your own nominations. In the days to come, the removal method for the first loser will be announced. More on this will be explained when the time comes. Violence and other forms of abuse to others will generate penalties for the group, as will deliberate damage to objects within the house or damage to the house itself. The last person left in the house will receive a special prize. Good luck, and remember, if you don't go... You all go. Steve removed his forehead from the window and raised an eyebrow. If you don't go, you all go. I don't know about you, he said in a quiet, husky voice. But I didn't agree to come here in the first place. Everyone was sitting on and standing around three large black sofas, talking and arguing. Except for David, with the frizzy hair, who was going through all the kitchen cupboards, and the girl on the end bed, who was still just there, lying in the same position. On the table in the centre of the triangle of sofas, they had found a touchscreen electronic tablet about the size of a sheet of A4 paper, which had displayed the rules and regulations of the house. 
Up the left-hand side of the screen was a yellow column with different aspects of rules and explanations of what was to come listed in boxes. Steve dropped down onto the sofa closest to the window and leant over to look at the tablet, held by Brian. <laughs> he looked contemptuous and repeated part of the introduction under his breath. Well, what the hell does that mean? he asked Brian, a confused request. You mean the removal method? He shook his head. I think whoever organized this deliberately wrote it to confuse us slightly, to make it a bit of a riddle. Steve then shook his own head in disbelief. There was still the constant noise of chattering people in the room, and Steve decided that if anybody was to get this unlikely group in some kind of order, then it would have to be him. He promptly stood himself up on the sofa cushion, struggling to keep his balance on the springless furniture, and called loudly for attention. He quickly got the attention of the small gathering and began to talk, making up a speech and attempting to find order. Okay, right, he began unsteadily, crossing his arms over his chest. Well, does anybody have any plausible idea as to where we are or how and why we are here? He allowed a moment of silence for somebody to speak up. David was sitting on the floor in front of the sofa now and appeared to be chewing on a peanut butter sandwich. He raised his left hand slightly to get the attention, whilst the other hand raised the bread once more to his mouth to take a bite. Everyone looked towards him, and Steve gestured for him to continue. David said nothing for several moments, just chewing his sandwich like a tired goat. He then, <laughs> <laughs> he then swallowed and began, in a rather feminine voice, The way I see it, this is a TV show, and we are its contestants. And I'll leave it there, because that was already quite long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's tantalizing stuff, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah, I mean, I I already wonder if um, by sort of, by being the first point of view chap, uh, character, by sort of declaring himself as the de facto leader, I wonder if Steve is going to be the first one to get it in the neck. <sighs> Because that would really throw you into a spiral. That would have been way too... Again, like the, all of the ideas you're coming up with, like four or five times now, you've said things where I'm like, God, that would have been clever. But no, I definitely wouldn't have been clever enough to do that. I would. It, the situation was it would be bound to be that Steve would survive the thing. He was my self-insert main character, basically. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> I wasn't that creative that I'd be like. Well, in fairness, in fairness, you wrote this when you were fifteen, and I'm talking about it now when I'm thirty-three. So hopefully, mm -hmm. I would mm -hmm. come up with some things a little more clever. <laughs> but the writing itself is not totally atrocious, actually. I'm no. Not, but then maybe that's just the thing of like I'm not cringing about it because it was so long ago and I, I just look at it as some kid who wrote a story and it's like hey kid this ain't half bad whereas I cringe immensely about things I wrote you know a year ago <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's I, I know what you mean like I, I look at my old stuff and I'm like hmm, well this isn't this isn't very good by my current standards but for back then boy look at me go <laughs> yeah that's what we come back to again and again enough time passes and everything that you do just ends up being kind of it's it, it just is what it is and it's kind of like charmingly itself and it's like a 15 year old wrote this but that's fine yeah it is what it is <laughs> yeah i mean how many 15 year olds are writing things these days can't be many <laughs> little bloody ingrates they don't know they're born do they <laughs> just watching tiktok <clears throat>
Yeah. No, I, I, I think that that is, I, as you say, it's, it's a point that we've made a few times, but I think that, um, I think that like, just the, the scope of the ideas that we were like willing to address and attempt is pretty, pretty bold. I guess so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a little edgy and it's not all that original, but clearly due to the success subsequently of the Hunger Games and Squid Game, it's it's a concept that people find just appealing over and over and over again. You just need to find a new angle. And for some reason, yeah. it's an evergreen uh, concept for a story. Yes, well, it's sort of... Um... It's a survival story with a modern twist, isn't it? That's what it comes down to. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's sort of, sort of reminiscent of Lord of the Flies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. But we, yeah. you know, put, put through a sort of a, a modern lens and there's always going to be this sort of inevitable horror that's going to come from it. Mm. But the survivors will be hopefully stronger from it. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, well, I hadn't read Lord of the Flies either at that point. I mean, it's it's funny to think when you're 15 or 16, you really haven't read many books at all. You know, certainly not many adult books. Yeah. You, like, the number of influences you have is so limited. And it's like that, more than anything, is something where it's like you don't stand a chance at writing anything decent when you're very young because you just, you literally have not had the time to absorb that much stuff, especially when yeah. you wasted your childhood watching television and playing video games like I did. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, the te- the television, the videos, the video games that we consumed would have also been giving us great stories. That is true, and not and and not great stories. Like, not all great stories have to come through the written word. Emma likes to remind me that Stephen Fry had read the entire works of Oscar Wilde and James Joyce by the time he was like ten. And every time she says it, I'm like, oh, I wasted my childhood watching Scooby Doo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't agree with that. I, I like I like Stephen Fry, but I think it's very apparent that he read all that by the time he was there. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I don't think that he actually I don't think he emotionally matured beyond that point. In a weird sort of way, yeah, I know what you mean. It's like the die the die was cast. Yeah, I mean, you do have to kind of live a stupid, aimless life in a way to get the kind of real influences of, like, if you just took a child and like said, I'm going to train this child to be the world's greatest writer. And from day one, you were just getting them to read like the greatest books ever written. You know, the whole Greek canon and all of the European classic literature and everything. Would they become a great writer or would they just become a sort of academic who knew a lot about literature? I think that the, the, the thing that would happen to them that happens to most people where their parents try to, you know, funnel them into something with, you know, a heavy hand, I think that they would become very good at it, but I think they would have no passion and no will to do it beyond Yeah. Beyond that. And uh, honestly, I think that, I think, you know, if you want your child to be a prestigious doctor or a lawyer or a musician, just got to hope that they develop an interest in it. Yeah. You know? And then once they once they do support them, but you can't you can't do, you know dictate that for them. Yeah. Whereas I guess I I am probably most people who really have a passion for writing. You you aspire to be more like a kind of Charles Bukowski type person, where it's like you write because you've lived, you know, and it's just like raw stuff. Yeah. I mean, I that's when I write, I. 
I, it initially came from, and this is a quote that I'm sure thousands and thousands of people have sort of said and shared and paraphrased, but the person that I first heard this from was, of all people, Kevin Smith, hmm. in the foreword to the uh, the script of Clerks, which was made available for uh, sale around this time. Um, I was sort of reading that, and I remember he said, you know, you couldn't, you can only write the experiences that you have had, so make sure you have good experiences. Hmm. Or if you, you know, if you don't, uh, you know, at least pay attention, so you can find the interesting and the good in them. Um, obviously, Clerks is a film about you know convenience store workers, but it's also a you know, it's a classic because it sort of studies like an element of the human condition, um, and just you know the interplay between people and. You know the aspirations versus the the reality of the everyday drudging life. Um, but all this aside, to say that I think that when you're a teenager, you can't write very well. In part because you haven't, you know, read as much as you will have by the time you're in your twenties or thirties. But also, your scope of things that you've done is very very narrow. Yeah, you could probably write a pretty good story about being a kid, maybe a couple of a couple of years younger than where you are. But when you're that age, you don't want to write about that. No. There always has to be some magical element or something to it. No, well, you, as a teenager, you're desperate to disassociate yourself from the person you were as just a few years ago as a child. Yeah. It's only as an adult that you reconnect with your childhood. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, it's, um, it's very true. I did, um, a couple of years later at uni, I did briefly attempt to turn this whole story into a graphic novel because at the time I was just obsessed with graphic novels and I was scrabbling around looking for any subject that I already had. Any, yeah. Like if, oh, I've got some material, maybe I could use this to just start off a graphic novel. And um, so I did, I did actually draw character designs for the 10 characters, which I can remember in my head. I don't. I don't have those drawings anymore, sadly. Um, so only I can see them in my own brain, <laughs> which is not useful to anyone. Um, but um, yeah, so that that I attempted briefly, and that didn't go anywhere. And um, that was uh, that was mostly that. I, I I'm a little surprised I didn't write a bit more on it because yeah, I only wrote about four thousand words, and it kind of looks like. It was going quite well, but I guess I just ran out of steam and didn't know what to write next. I suppose so. I I was wondering about that because it doesn't really feel like it's tailing off. No, it doesn't. It just if I I sort of wanted to ask if if there was like you know is there more that you're just not showing me? No, or? but I don't know why. <laughs> I, it Very might strange. have been because I was moving house. According to the metadata, this was made in February two thousand and six. We moved house around that time, so it may have mm. been because of the move. I um, I just, you know, that that took up a lot of time, and I didn't kind of un. I don't know. Maybe I was just starting on new things. I do remember I, I that 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 move in two thousand and six was kind of a watershed for me. Like I changed a lot of things. Like I stopped playing video games pretty much altogether. For a very long time, I had my own bedroom for the first time 
it was kind of a sea change. So who knows? And all that change, maybe this story, I just, I meant to keep writing it, but didn't. Also, it's worth uh, acknowledging there were other things going on in that period of time. February 2006, we would have very much been on the run-up to our GCSEs, which would have started even as early as March 2006. Oh, God, yeah. Um, And it would have been also around that time. I was very much absent at that point. Um, That's a secondary school, I believe. I think that I only started coming back to school around, you know, just before the GCSE period started. Yeah. That was when I was like missing a lot of school. Yeah. Not saying that that, you know, would have been the reason that you wrote this, but <laughs> it probably a, a lack of uh, input from yours truly may have, uh, you know, may have been a thing that was going on and then suddenly changed. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, yeah, I, like I also remember you, you suddenly being. I, I don't know that you were actually like hugely closer in terms of the like well, your location based on where I was about to move to because I, I hadn't yet moved into Colchester, but I would by the end of that summer. Um, but you being in Colchester made you feel much more accessible to me. Mm, yeah. Whereas like West West Burgholt was sort of like just a bit too far for me to get on my own steam oh, yeah. for some reason. I mean, that was one of the big changes too about the move is that I could then walk into town, whereas I could yeah. never do that before, which kind of opened up the town to me. I would just stroll into town. So maybe I was actually just living my life more, <laughs> yeah. doing stuff, being an actual teenager. Because, yeah, I, I often did in West Burgle feel quite sort of isolated, kind of like stuck out there, yeah. writing alone in my room for entertainment. I mean, not that I can caught the bus into town, but where am I going to get the money for that? Yeah. <laughs> You didn't have the schemes going on that I did. No, I certainly didn't. Would you like some quiz questions? Oh, I really would. I was hoping you were going to ask. Well, don't get excited, Sam. Don't get twisted. No, don't just. Cause I hear you're getting excited, Sam, and I'd hate to see you disappointed. I can't. I can't bear to see you disappointed. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> so just stick a plug in the excitement jug because I have these 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 questions. They're not good. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So as I said, Celebrity Big Brother had just aired when I started writing this. It was the only time I ever watched it. And there was an infamous incident on the show um, involving politician George Galloway. What did he do on the show that still haunts him to this day? Um... Did he, um, I think that he besmirched a group, I think that he, (laughs) did he say something about, my brain is saying that he said something about uh, the conflict between Israel and Palestine, (laughs) but obviously that's something that's like very much in my head. I feel like he said something. I mean, he Maybe probably he thought... did say something about the conflict between Israel and Palestine, but that's not the incident. No, this country is, uh... is far pettier than that, Sam. 
Oh, wait, no. Was this when he referred to all bin men as uh, feckless crungos? <laughs> what? <laughs> are you just making that up? Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. He's a champion of the working man, Sam. He would never besmirch bin men that way. Oh, but bin men are well too high paid. Oh, okay. I didn't realize. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to get smelly. No, what he did, this is how petty this country is. This basically ruined his career forever. He did an impression of a cat, and no one ever shut up about it. Oh, yeah. You remember. And everyone was very uncomfortable with it, except for one woman who who was in the house who was deeply aroused. Well, yeah, they, I can't remember the context, but it was a sort of weirdly, slightly sexualized impression of a cat he was doing with this, this lady who was, you know... She she seemed to be comfortable with it. She, you know, they they were around the same age, older lady. Yeah, can't remember who she was, but they would they were Margaret, they, Margaret Thatcher. Oh, it might have been, <laughs> but they were doing some kind of role playing thing as some kind of task, and he did this kind of sexy cat impression, and it was cringy. But it's like, come on, guys, let it go. It's actually uh, where um, Andrew Lloyd Webber got the idea for his hit musical Phantom of the Opera. Oh my god, that makes sense. Yeah, a man. You're gonna get so a bonus point for that. <laughs> a man so strange from the people around him that he's made to be sort of this monster, this phantom, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> the, the opera the of reality opera. television. Yeah, yeah. there was nothing. I don't think there was anything inappropriate or kind of creepy about it. it was just it was it was just a bit of fun between. Two older people having a good time. Leave them alone. I think I've actually I've I've pulled up a um a clip. Oh boy! Here of it. Hang on, let me just. Uh, oh, this should be good. Let me, let me just start it here. Okay, here we go. Wow. Wow. Are you making those <laughs> noises? What? Are you actually watching the clip, or are you just having me no. on? <laughs> Sam, I've actually gone to seek out the clip, because because you said you were watching it. <laughs> okay, let me, let me actually seek out the clip. Yeah, it's 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 right there on YouTube. Oh, no, yeah, they're, they're, they're talking. Like, there were interviews about this, documentaries, retrospectives. Someone wrote a book about it. Did, did they really? I don't know. I'm just making that bit up. But uh-huh. it was... They, people talked about it for a long time. Yeah, Reva Steamcamp. I, she, she's like rubbing his arm and pretending he's a cat, I mean, and he's pretending to be a cat. And she's like treating when, him like a little kitty, and he's like. When you search George Galloway in, in YouTube, um, it, the options are George Galloway, George Galloway moats, and George Galloway cat, okay. and then a bunch of stuff that sounds like it's actually oh relevant but she cups her hands together and like pretends it's a milk bowl and he he like pretends to be licking milk out of her hands it's quite sweet really i'm uh george's defining moment this is why politicians shouldn't go on reality tv because you have to do stupid things like this and it ends up making you look like an idiot i'm just uh Human animal language. Sam, are you struggling to find this clip? <laughs> no, I'm watching it right now. <laughs> it's the it's the the lip licking. Yeah, but she's stroking his hair, and he's oh, it's quite cute, really. I mean, 
If two people in a couple as a couple just did this in private, you'd be like, that's really nice. They're cute. What a cute couple. Chantel Houghton is not uh is not uh is not enjoying it. Well, you know And she keeps calling him uh pussycat, which She's got a lot of hang ups, you know. I think she needs to really examine why that is because it says more like about the, her uh, than it does about them, you know. It's quite it's quite a stunningly accurate rendition. Exactly. I, uh, he even plays the cat well. He does. He, he does. He makes it seem slightly ashamed of itself, <laughs> which is just as well. This is a long first quiz question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. All right, can we do the second quiz okay. question? <laughs> okay. So, uh, how many points have I got so far? Well, you got zero. I said I gave you a oh. bonus point for telling me about the Phantom <laughs> of the Opera fact, but. That wasn't actually real. So It's been rescinded. It's been legally rescinded. Zero out of one. Question two. Sam, that summer while continuing my hard work on the novel, I don't think I was, the only main series of Big Brother I ever watched was on our TV screens. And I watched, I, I did not miss an, an episode of it for the three months of that summer that it was on. Wow. Yeah. The weekly episodes. I wasn't going to sit there every day watching it, but like the weekly highlights. I was into it, Sam. I was into it. But what incident on that series got more Ofcom complaints than any other? Uh, it's another very infamous incident. It's not it's not one I've mentioned already, I assume. No. Did it uh did it involve someone getting evicted from the house early? No. Uh uh, uh <laughs> come on uh, okay it was when i'm gonna have to was rush it you when, was it when um, that guy went through the remaining uh, sort of microwavable ready meals and like pun- punctured them all ahead of time, so that so that they started to spoil before anyone could eat them? <laughs> no, that was just something that you did at your house <laughs> one time. Oh yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> no, did you just make that up? Yes, of course. Oh, come on, I told you I've never. I told you I've never watched the show. This was a very was big. This with. was another massive incident. It was all. I remember the news. it when you. I remember it when you tell me. There was an incident towards the end of the run of the show where a contestant, who I hope I'm saying this right, her name was Kinga Karalchuk. She uh, inserted a wine bottle into her vagina. I'm just gonna say. Oh. I thought about using using a euphemism, but Sam. I'm just going to say it. Vagina. Okay. In the industry, they refer to that move as, as the sommelier. Oh, very nice. Yeah, she yeah. Um, she put it under her dress and inserted the, the neck of the wine bottle into herself while um, kind of expressing shock at how it felt. And they showed that on the highlights and um, they got about 14 million complaints. To... Why did she do that? Because she was drunk. And she thought it would oh. be funny and probably wanted to get a bit of attention. I think she was one of those contestants where they, they brought her in like halfway through, like as a kind of wild card. Uh, and she was probably trying to... Be memorable. Yeah, she was trying to make her mark 
which mm. there are better ways of doing it. But again, it's kind of like well, it seems like uh, yeah. It seems she's had uh, limited success because uh, in uh, a poll that I've just done, see, it says that only fifty percent of people recall her and that incident. <laughs> I'm one of that proud fifty percent. <laughs> yeah. well, like I yeah. said, that was the only time, the only year I ever watched it. I tried to watch the series again next year. I was kind of excited about it, like, all right, let's do this. Yeah. But um, sadly, no. Although, hang on a second, that must have been 2005 because that was 2006. Then 2007, I wasn't even. Doesn't matter. But anyway, that was the year that I watched it and I remember this huge deal being made about that incident and I it, I was just like I don't care doesn't matter you couldn't see anything I was just like it's just a bit of fun isn't it what's everyone so uptight about like I really yeah, at that age I really struggled to understand why people got upset about that sort of thing it was just like she hasn't hurt anyone she's just doing her thing <laughs> she's, just, she's just having some wine fun and uh, if you couldn't see it how do you she might have just been acting she might have been she yeah been... but Probably not, but... Yeah. Okay, anyway, question three. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's, uh, that's two for two. Doing pretty well so far. How many years was Big Brother off the... <laughs> How many years was it off the air before finally returning on ITV2 this year? Much to the nation's chagrin. Uh, nine years. No, only five. Oh, Okay. Yeah, it did 10 years on Channel 4, then 8 years on Channel 5, and then it thankfully disappeared for five peaceful years. And now ITV has brought it back for God knows what reason. (laughs) Well, money, I imagine. But I can't judge too much because I really, really enjoyed it that one year. I was so into it, and I don't know why. For some reason, it got me. It probably got you just at that exact point where you were like, really in your teenage rush and like really starting to see like be just deeply curious about the way people interacted with each other like you probably had grown past your initial disdain for those things that i imagined you probably had as a younger child and then go to a place where you're like oh yeah look at this this is this is what it's like to be human it's all playing out on the page in front of me Sam, you're really making it sound like I actually like got something important out of it. No, I just was enjoying oh, trash you just, TV. Were you, were you just giggling and laughing? I don't know. That's I. I can't figure it out. I don't know why I was into it. But well, if it makes if it makes you feel any better, a couple of years after this period of time, I, I started watching the TV show Geordie Shore, which is a no, which is a dire mess of a show, but I very much enjoyed it. Sam. Yeah. Sam. I was about to say I was proud of you for getting zero points in the quiz, but now you're dropping this on me? Well, let's keep it going, eh? Let's see if you've got two more for me. No, I only do three questions. You expect me to think of five questions? Come on, it was hard enough coming up with three crappy questions. Well, they're, they're all... I thought maybe two of them might be about the, about your work. Well, I, I, I couldn't think of anything. <laughs> it's like, what, 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 what would you have asked? Why is it called the White Room? No, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you would know. Um, because uh, that is a very good question. <laughs> it's because the room... When, here's what was going to happen. When the person got selected at the end of each week to get killed, a special door would open, and inside would be this bright white room, and you would have to willingly walk into it 
in order to meet your fate. And you know, it, it says in the text that bit I read. Um, there's the phrase, "If you don't go, you all go." I think it is. Oh yeah. So yeah. the idea is you have to willingly walk into it, and you have like a ten minute time limit to, to just walk in there and meet your fate. Otherwise, everyone in the house dies. So that would be a dramatic moment where the others would be like encouraging you and then forcing you to go into the room. Like you've got to go in there or we're all dead, you know? Yeah. Well, that's fair. Um, that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a good answer. Thank you. So that's one point for you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, my question as well is, uh, were they all going to die? Like you've said their fate. Now, obviously, like, them dying is, like, a big part of it. But did you have any sort of plan? Like, maybe there'd be, like, a sort of a weird, like, amnesty week or something? Or Well, no, but I, I think um, I was planning to do the kind of Hunger Games Battle Royale ending where two people fall in love and then find a way for both of them to survive the experience. Yes. Yep. But most of them would have died, yes. What I would like in this time of uh, increasing division brought on by the powers that be, I, w- I would like a, a sort of a Squid Games, White Room, Big Brother, Battle Royale piece that maybe didn't limit that down to the absolute individuals, but perhaps perhaps it only maybe takes like 20% of the people to die before the rest of the people decide to work together. Well, they were going like, to work I, together in this, but the thing is, there's not really anything they could do. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, I know what you mean. Right. Like that's um, and and that's what happens in um, Catching Fire, the second Hunger Games book, right? Like they kind of. Oh yes, they all stop, don't they? Yeah, they find a way to destroy the arena. Yeah. Which is cool. And then that lead that leads to. Uh... Basically, a rebellion, doesn't it? At least, uh, yeah, that leads to, or the... it's happening at the same time as, uh, yeah. yeah, those those books were better than they had any right to be. I'll say that much. Oh, like, yeah. I remember re- reading those one summer and being very. Well, I read I read them very quickly. Like, I don't know what that says about them or about me, but I I just went through them in the space of about a week, and I thought, well, I enjoyed these. I never read the uh, the prequel one that they did that's now being turned into a film, but I mm. think that, that might be an interesting watch because it's about like one of the earlier ones. I think it's like the 10th Games or something when things are much less uh, established. Yeah, they were just but, running around in the street bricking each other. Yeah, yeah exactly. Shouting, Hunger Games! <laughs> you hungry? <laughs> Grab a Snickers. Um... <laughs> And you know what question we always ask at this point in the show, Sam? Uh, do you need to go to the toilet? <laughs> and are you happy if I don't record? <laughs> no, it's if you were going to revive this now, what would you do differently? Well, um, if I was going to revive this, no. Sorry, there's a there's a squirrel uh, foraging outside the window where I am now, and he's got big pendulous balls and. <laughs> Oh no! Are you sure those aren't yeah. just his nuts? God's sake! Well, whatever he's up to, he's having a wicked time. He's buried them for the winter. <laughs> well, I'm happy for that squirrel, yeah. and I'm happy for um, you witnessing it. What would what would you do differently if you were making? Because obviously, it's it's your work. So me answering that, it would be funny. It's sort of a joke we could do. But I, 
<laughs> you, you, you wouldn't sink so low as to make such an easy joke, would you, Sam? Oh, I thought you were going to say you wouldn't sink so low as to make a joke on this podcast, would you? <laughs> I hope not. Um, but yeah, are you asking a question? I am asking a okay, question. What well, would I'll... you? Ha- what would? What would stay the same? What would you do differently if you were to revive this project now? Well, then I'll ask. I'll answer the question. And Sam, I've 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 had a eventful week this week. I haven't actually thought that much about the White Room as I had as I did about Sun City and the Lith siblings and and other things. Mm. But talking to you today, I've realised that this is actually not a terrible concept for a story and its failings as we discussed like the the fact that they're all just randomly picked and there doesn't appear to be kind of anything they can do about it or any real kind of blame to be placed could actually be its strengths and it's something that yes. i could actually imagine myself attempting to write today yeah Yes, I was going to say, I mean, you could use, if you keep it exactly as is, you could keep it as a commentary on the perception of, like, you know, are you, are you like, uh, are you born with the skills that you have in life, or do you have to develop them? Like, do you have any say over what happens in your life, or will good and bad things just keep happening regardless of what you do? Um. You know, are you, should you just lay back and accept it, or, like, are you the only one that has the power to, you know, to improve your standing? Like, I feel like there's themes that you could like touch on there but uh that's deep well yeah you gotta gotta put a bit of depth in these things and but you suggested some very good changes throughout our talk actually so i'll i'll have all of those especially when you said that um you said something about uh showing a weekly recap like what i could do what might actually be the most interesting thing is that if we saw the story whether it was visually or just as prose if we just saw the story as the weekly recap show and what the editors of the show have chosen to edit out is just as interesting as what we see and we we get yes. suggestions of what is going on in the house like you know kind of disturbing suggestions of things that we're not seeing that could be interesting yes i would actually thoroughly and enjoy that perhaps perhaps your perhaps your your pov is some is like maybe one or two people in a room yeah, you know, in their lounge or whatever, watching the show. Ah, yeah. And they can sort of, they can sort of say, like, they can become increasingly obsessed with it and be like, "Wait, hang on, oh pause it. Like, can you can you pause this thing? Like, what's what's that in the background?" That's a great idea. Yeah, that's like a great idea, like a framing device, like a sort of second level to it. Yeah. Oh, oh, nice, Sam. <laughs> it's definitely a more exciting idea than River Business, which by the end of that one, I was like, I hate this comic and I wish I'd never made it. <laughs> that's, <laughs> Whatever that's fond so what memories I have of River Business are now gone. <laughs> <laughs> They're gone forever. God damn it. <laughs> but this, yeah, this this thing, um, yeah, I, I never imagined I would be a little excited about its possibilities, but, you know, there's... Yeah, there's definitely some stuff there. Cool. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd love to see what you would, uh, what you do, what you would do with it. I mean, I'm not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for that. Let's not be crazy. Um, but no, it's definitely something to uh, think about. Look, let's let's Sam, let's stick it on the cringe league table here. 
Oh, yes, let's. Uh, hang on, before we do that, give me a moment to grab my cringe league table book. Oh, a book? I thought it was. I, I imagined you having this big kind of. Um, this enormous, like, flip chart screen type thing. Like one of those old style cricket screens where it shows you the scores with all of the numbers flipping. Uh, I, di- I did have that. It was up in my garden, but a wind took it away. Ah, oh, bummer. It was t- taken away by a wind. Um, hold on one second. I'll be right back. Wilkin, gather before you today here. We have the White Room. What score would you give this mighty concept? For nostalgia. Oh, for nostalgia? Well, I mean, I like it okay. I wouldn't say I'm that nostalgic for it. I guess it kind of, speaking about it, now it kind of reminds me of um, 2006, you know, back when I was happy. And um, (laughs) before the weight of the world crushed me. Back in the good old days. I could unironically enjoy watching a reality TV show. Yeah, so I'm a little nostalgic for that because, my God, that seems like a totally different time now. I'll give it a nostalgia rating of fifty-three. Mm. Is that good? Well, it's middle. It's middling, but uh, how's about that uh, that uh, that cringe rating? Cringe out of a hundred. Honestly, it's like barely cringe at all. Like it's it's. Some elements of cringe. It's a little cringe. Twelve. We're talking. We're talking single digits. Cringe or twelve. Eleven. Twelve. Twelve. <laughs> twelve. Eleven. Eleven and a half. All right. Well, I mean, even even a child could do this math. Oh. For the white room has been given a total of forty-two, which places it. Pretty middling. Oh, okay. In the pack, it's uh, actually, I think that puts it fourth. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So we've got um, at the bottom, we've got facial hair with one. Then we've got uh, river business with twenty-seven. No, sorry. Then we've got list siblings with twenty-five. Then we've got river business with twenty-seven. What? Hang on. Wait a minute. River business doesn't deserve to be above the Lith siblings. Well, I should have thought about that when you're doing your maths. We can we can address these at a later date. No, it's not allowed. No. Carry on. That's true. Um, river business. I mean, I feel like maybe we need more in this. Maybe nostalgia alone is not enough. Yeah, we should have a perhaps, quality perhaps, rating. There should be the nostalgia merit and cringe. Well, it's too late now. We're stuck with it. Uh, we could retroactively put that in. I didn't see. Why not? Um, but the, all that aside, uh, yeah. So we've got facial hair at the bottom with one. We've got the siblings um, second to last with uh, 25. We've got river business third to last with 27. Uh, we've got a story by a frankly ridiculous 41. Uh, then we've got the white room with 42. Mm. And above that, there's only the pawn with 44 and a half. Sun City with 52 and a half. And the usual scum still leading the pack with 57. Can anything take down the usual scum? 
Oh, surely champions. Surely something will, Sam. Surely that surely that can't be the best piece of work that either of us created. <laughs> it's not. Before, it's before before twenty five. It's not about the best. The league table just represents its feeling. Yeah, it represents how juvenilia it is. That's true. It's a, we'll call it the juvenilia rating. That's true. And usual scum is so juvenilia. It's so juvenilia. It's so juvenilia. It hurts. It's not a bloody scientific league table. Don't worry about it. Well, I tried. To, I tried to make it scientific. Well, stop. <laughs> I tried to put some, you know, some pi r squared in there, but you're just making it harder for yourself. Listen, Sam. Yes. Next time, what are we talking about? Well, now that is a good question. It's got to be one of one, uh, of, you, one of yours. It's got to be one of my monstrosities. One of your magnum opus, opus, op, opi, opuses. Op- opaloid. Um, fuck, is there anything else left? <laughs> yeah. Quite a lot, actually. Now, I, I think that my my next thing that I want to get back to, and I, I sort of am, am loath to say this, but I think the next thing I want to tackle... Are my middling comics? What are those? Now, the middling comics, in my opinion, are the the things that never really took off. The comics that I did uh, post scum, pre screw. Oh, now, the question yeah. the question I have for you is whether or not we're going to dedicate as much as an entire episode to each of those. Yes, we are. I have lots to say. Okay. Okay, well then... Are we talking about Third Dimension or what? Third Dimension is where we've got to start, because that's, that's... I mean, it's called Third Dimension for a reason. It's the third comic I made. Sam, you made a serious attempt at a serious, important work of art comic, and I, I did. we're going to find out in, how that went. Moved into my Yonan Vasquez phase. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we're yeah. going to hear all about that next time. And if it's a short episode, then that's fine. We'll just do well, another just... one. <laughs> <laughs> that just means we can eat lunch earlier. Oh, nice. Yeah, I like that. I mean, it's like it's 4.30 in the afternoon here. That's a late lunch. It's an early lunch for me. It's practically dinner. Okay, well, thanks, Sam. And uh, that's been Juvenilia. Juvenilia podcast at gmail.com. Don't email us. For God's sake. All... Keep it in your pants. Yes, leave us alone. It's been real, Sam. I'll um, see you next whoever time. Left the flaming, whoever left the flaming bag of dog shit on my front uh, front step. Thank you. You, re- you. you really know how to throw the tone. <laughs> <laughs> we got a nice little thing going on here, and then you go and say something like that. Sam, hang your head in shame. Uh, it's already hung, my friend. Um, all right. It's been it's been it's been wicked. Juvenilia out. Uh. Bye.